Would you take your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. I love being a youth pastor. I tell pastor I get to have all the fun. Uh, I get to do things with the teens and just, I just, I just have so much fun. Um, and I get to preach messages that are, I don't know, easier or more fun. Uh, pastor has to do the difficult ones. Whew. He's done some good ones lately. And he's, of course, I've never heard a bad one, but uh, they, they've just been so good, so pointed, so what we need. And I'm thankful for our pastor. I want to preach today on Jonathan and his armor bearer. And it's a very familiar passage. We know it well, uh, but I think there's some truths we can learn from it today. John, uh, so 1 Samuel 14, look at, with me just at verse number 6 to start with. 1 Samuel 14, verse number 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So things had gotten bad in Israel, hadn't they? Real bad. Uh, the land is occupied by the Philistines, and dom they're dominating that area. Saul is doing the best he can. He's kind of doing like a guerrilla warfare almost, trying this little battle. He's, he's not very successful at all. He's weak and ineffective. Uh, and in... He's, he's facing an overwhelming army. These Phil, the Philistine army is well-equipped and prepared. Most of the men of Israel are just hiding. Saul was hiding. Uh, according to chapter 13, verse number 22, they don't even have weapons. Only Saul and Jonathan have weapons. So things are real bad, and and if that wasn't bad, things get worse when Saul, in chapter 13, chooses to disobey God. And in that disobedience, God says, hey, your kingdom, it's, it's not going to happen. That's enough. So he, we have a rejected king ruling over a crumbling kingdom, and it's against this bleak backdrop that we see one of the brightest moments of God working in the people of Israel. And it's all because of Jonathan and his armor bearer. When he, by faith, says there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. God, we come to you this morning recognizing that we all, every one of us, need to grow in our faith in you. Wherever we're at in our Christian walk, whether we're a newborn Christian or we've been saved many years, or even if we're not saved and you're here today and, and someone's not saved, Lord, they need to make that first step of faith. All of us need to grow in our faith. And I pray that you'd challenge us from the truth of your word through this testimony of Saul or, and of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Would you do that for us this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to examine what happens, the account. We're going to examine why it happens. 
and then we're going to look at who caused it to happen. 1 Samuel chapter 14, back up to verse number 1. Now it came to pass upon a, upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Now you ask, why didn't he tell his father? Was he being disobedient? No, he was not being disobedient. Now he was old enough to be out on his own, Jonathan was. He was a young adult. So why didn't he tell his father? Well, he knew his father would say no. His dad, the king, was not living according to the, what he should be, not following God like he should be, and he knew his dad would say no. He understood that he needed to choose the honor of God as a priority before the honor of his father. Choose to honor God first. Dad, if you're not going to do anything for God, I will. Where is his father anyway? Look at verse number two. And Saul, what's the word? Tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. So Saul is sitting down under a pomegranate tree. That's where Saul is. While faith goes, unbelief sits. Unbelief says it can't be done. Pursue with only 600 men? Uh-uh. And so he sits. Who's with Saul? Look at verse number 3. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. So who's sitting there with Saul under the pomegranate tree? It's the grandson of Eli, the priest. Oh, and he's got his religion. He's got his ephod on but he's sitting. Eli's family had been rejected from the priesthood. Here's the leadership of Israel, a rejected king, a rejected priest's grandson, and 600 men doing nothing. Saul is sitting with his religion. He's playing church, but he's really disguising his unbelief with religion. He's, he's playing church in hypocrisy, while Jonathan, he's secretly on the move. Look at verses 4 and 5. I love this. And between the passage by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senna. The forefront of one was situated northward against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. So get the picture here. There's this valley with steep sides on either side, and these cliff edges kind of separate the two armies. We got on one side, the north side, the Philistine garrison, and their army, and uh, they've got a, a special spot there up on the rock, and over on this side, we've got Israel and their armies, and that pomegranate tree with Saul sitting under it, and 600 men. 
Now, it's interesting when we look up the definition of these words. Bozes and Senna. Strange to us, but when you look up the meaning, Bozes means slippery, and Senna means thorny. So get the picture again. We've got Israel, and they're up on this mountainside, a steep cliff edge that's the thorny way, then the valley, and then a steep cliff that's the slippery way to the Philistine army. It looks pretty bad. If someone's going to attack the Philistines, you've got to negotiate the ravine, you've got to negotiate the thorny way down and the slippery way up. Why in the world would you try that spot? This is impossible. No one's going to attack from that side, the Philistine army thinks. That's why the Philistines are very relaxed. They feel their position, at least from that area, is in, you know, nobody's going to come up this way. But in reality, well, faith sees beyond the circumstances. There is no restraint to the Lord. Look at verse number 6 again. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Whose land is this anyway? God has given this to the children of Israel. This is God's land. This is the children of Israel's by right. These uncircumcised Philistines don't have any right to it. There's only two that are willing to go. <laughs> the land belongs to God, the covenant people of God. What did Joshua say years ago? We can go back to the book of Joshua, and I wonder if maybe Jonathan had a copy of this and could read it for himself. Joshua 30, or 23, verse number 10 says this, One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. So Jonathan could by faith say, this is what God said he would do. And this is what God wants to do. Here is a young man impressed with the reality of God, and he takes God at his word and steps forward in faith. Doesn't listen to what his senses tell him. The overwhelming odds, the impossible terrain. But he, he has a, a sense for the unseen. It's called faith. God is more real to him and his armor bearer than all else. So they step forward in faith. This is not presumptuous faith. No, look at what he says. He says, maybe. Jonathan leaves the door open for God to say no. He's not doubting that God can. God can. God can save by many or by few. It's not impossible with God. This is no problem for God. But it may be that God doesn't want to do this right now. And that's okay. He's not doubting God, but he's leaving the Lord free to say no. 
So how do they know if the Lord is saying yes, or how do they know if the Lord is saying no? Well, they simply ask and allow God to show him, show them his will. Show us which way. Look at verse number 9. Let's read verse 9 and 10. If they say unto us, tarry until we come unto you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be the sign unto us. So, all right, God, just show us your will. Show us what you want us to do. Do you want us to go up, Lord? You can do it. You can save by many or by few. Show us what you want us to do. Verse number 11. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. So now they had to come down that thorny way to do this. They had to get down to the valley so that they could be spotted and seen by the Philistine garrison. So now they're coming through that valley and they're spotted. They discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of their holes where they have hid themselves. <laughs> and the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. We'll show you a thing. And this mockery and this laughter from the Philistines is the green light for Jonathan and his armor bearer to say, Yes, this is God's will. Jonathan knows it. The Philistine invitation to come up is God's invitation to attack. Verse number 13. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and on his feet. Getting up that slippery way was not easy. So he scales that height. He comes over the cliff edge. And look what happens. Uh, his armor-bearer is coming right behind him, and there fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer slew after him. Now, I, I like to try picture this in my mind. What is this like as he's working so hard to get up that steep path, that slippery way? He gets to the top, and he just doesn't stop. He runs, and he's just swinging for all he's worth. And all he does is get one little blow in and run to the next, one little blow in and run to the next, one little blow in and run to the next. And here comes his armor-bearer behind him. Finishing them off. I don't know if it was like that or not. I'm going to find out one day when I get to heaven. What was it like? Wow! So they launched themselves at the Philistines, and Jonathan is just smashing his way through. Behind him is his armor bearer finishing things off. The ground around these two boys becomes a killing zone. Look at verse number 14. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men. As it were, an half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. So this two-man suicide raid, if you will, takes the Philistines by surprise. I wonder if the Philistines had their strongest men, their bravest, their mightiest men at that outpost point, which would be the first point that possibly some might attack through. I don't know. But what happens? Great Panic sets in. 
and the panic is multiplied. Look at verse number 15. And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. Now, this is just at the sight of what happened. When they saw Jonathan and Armor Bearer come and wipe out 20 men, they all started trembling at that very moment. But continue on in the verse. So the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. So God takes this terror in their hearts already, and they're, they're afraid, wow, what just happened? And then all of a sudden the ground starts shaking and multiplies that fear in their hearts a hundred times. Now there's a very great trembling. Wow, God steps in. Jonathan makes the first blow, but it's the shock wave that ripples out and God uses and he magnifies it with this earthquake and sends a terror to all the Philistines. Results in confusion and ultimately results in victory. Jump all the way down to verse number 23 with me. Verse number 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord saved Israel that day. It never would have happened with Saul and his 600 men. Saul and his, you know, there with the Eli the prophet's great-grandson sitting under the pomegranate tree. But it all happened because of Jonathan and his armor-bearer and their faith. All right, so that's what happened. Now let's examine why it happened. Why does Saul sit and Jonathan go? Back up to verse number one. Jonathan says two times, let us go. It says it in verse one and then verse number six. Let us go. So Jonathan goes. And it's all about his faith. I want you to, we're going to examine a couple of ideas of what his faith was like, examining Jonathan's faith. First of all, he had a faith that was focused on God. A faith that was focused on God. Saul, he was living his life by sight. He was going by what his eyes were telling him. He said the problem was insurmountable. There's nothing that can be done. That's what his eyes were telling him. But Jonathan had two eyes as well. But he sees beyond the circumstance. And he sees only what faith can see. And the forefront of Jonathan's mind is not the Philistine garrison, but the Lord. And everything is revolving around what God can do. That's the axis upon which his world turns. It's the Lord. Notice also he has a courageous faith. This is not just optimism. You know, say they like to look on the bright side, right? This is not just Jonathan looking on the bright side, not just some kind of optimism. He says, no, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. There's only two of us, but with God, nothing's impossible. If God is going to save 
Nothing can stop him. He can do it by many or by few, so let's go. <laughs> let's just do it. He's got a faith that dreams big. Faith that dreams big. Who would dream of attacking the Philistines in that particular way? I mean, really, let's do a risk assessment. Let's wait until we're on level ground. You know, we'll, we'll work it out then. Let's wait until the, the, the situation looks a little better in our favor. But here is a dream uh, that, that sees what God can do. He has a sanctified imagination that will venture all for the Lord. And he even ventures all on that word, maybe. Maybe the Lord will. So let's go. Let us go. Maybe the Lord will. Why, why are we sitting here doing nothing? He's got a submissive faith. Jonathan doesn't say God must save. It's, it's not some kind of name it, claim it theology. No, he's asking for God's will in this situation. And it may be the Lord will work for us. I don't doubt the Lord's power, but it may please our sovereign king to say no. But who knows? Until we get out there and try. Get, until we get out there and do something. He had to go first before he could find out if God would give him a yes. He couldn't sit still. It's a self-forgetting faith. Self-forgetting faith. Jonathan, this is far too dangerous. You'll get hurt. <laughs> you know, you need a hard hat at least or some climbing ropes, something. No, Jonathan is, isn't afraid to risk the danger, to get a little scarred from the thorns going down, to get a little bloody in the battle. This is a holy recklessness for God that says, I'm not going to worry about the cost. I can't sit here and do nothing. I must go in faith. His faith is not bothered by the world's mockery or laughter as they say, these are the Hebrews coming out of their holes. No, the mockery and laughter is simply God's green light to go. Come, let us show, <laughs> show you. Come on up here. We'll show you something. That's what they're saying. Yeah, we'll show you a thing or two. We'll teach you a lesson you'll never forget. They're laughing and mocking, but he in faith goes. A faith that is jealous for the honor and glory of the Lord. A faith that is jealous for the honor and glory of the Lord. Jonathan is not in it for personal glory. He's not saying, you know, look, look at what I can get. No, he's saying... Who are they to be here? And who are we in being the covenant people of God? Look at the God we serve. Isn't he more powerful than their God? Who are, who are they serving? Dagon? An idol made of hands? We can't sit here while God's cause lies in the dust. While men mock the true God, the people of Israel should not be sitting we must go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 34 say, And 
What shall I more say? For the time would fail to tell me of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the enemies of the aliens. Think of Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. It says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people that know their God. When you know your God in faith, you're going to be strong. You're going to do things for Him. So how does this apply to us? What should we be doing In our country, in our day and age, the temptation is to find a pomegranate tree and sit down. Things are dark. The shadow is growing. Now, we have to be careful with parallels here because this is the Old Testament, and we live in America. We are not Israel. We are not a theocracy. But I think there are a lot of truths here that do apply. The kingdom of God in this country is being mocked. It's being scorned. And the people of God are in retreat. They're sitting and doing nothing. Many of the people of God have neither the weapons nor the will to fight for the advance of the cause of Christ that truth might prevail. So what should we do? Find a pomegranate tree and sit down with Saul? No. There's never been an easy time to serve the Lord. Wait for an easier time? Like some kind of mythological age where, yeah, it's just easy to go out and serve God. No. What better time than the present? This is the time God has given to us. These are difficult days. Well, then, so what? (laughs) These are the days that God has given me. Is my faith so unheroic that the slightest sign of difficulty, I sit down and do nothing? Wait for an easier time before I serve him? The strongholds of Satan are many, but we're few. But the Word of God tells me that God likes those odds. And so it's okay. He's looking for those that will venture on, venture all on His Word and trust Him. Refuse to go and sit down with Saul. How far are we willing to go to venture on a maybe. It's all about his submission to God, really. It's a, it's a holy recklessness that doesn't mind the thorny way down and the slippery way up, the hand-to-hand combat, but it sees the opportunities of the day, not just the difficulties and the dangers. That doesn't mind the mockery, but uses that mockery to say, hey, this is, 
something God wants us to do. They take it as their cue for action to stand up for the Lord, to move forward for the Lord. It's time to be jealous for the honor of the Lord. Does the honor of the Lord keep you up at night when you see what's happening in the news? God's glory is at stake. Can we rest? When Paul went to Athens and he saw the idols of that day. What did the Bible say in Acts chapter 17, verse 16? That his spirit was stirred in him. He couldn't rest. He said, I must go out. I must show these people the truth. I must debate with them. I must tell them of a God that loves them. A living God. It kept Paul up. Does God's glory constrain you to risk everything for the kingdom of God? Who is it that makes this happen, by the way? Who is it that makes this happen? It's two individuals. First of all, there's Jonathan, right? He's the adult. But there's another one right behind him. It's the armor bearer. He's the youth. I want to address two categories, the adult and the youth. Let's start with the young man. You see it there in verse number 16? Jonathan said to the young man. This young man is loyal to Jonathan. He's, he's got his loyalties in the right spot. The grandson of Eliezer, <laughs> loyalty is in the wrong spot. This young man, this youth, said, I'm going to be loyal to the one who's following God. I'm going to be with the one who is serving God. And that's Jonathan. This young man has energy, strength. He's got daring. He's got an earnestness, a zeal. He's got a holy recklessness that says to Jonathan, hey, do all that's in thine heart. Let's get him. Let's go. And I love that. Hey, young person here, teenager, have that holy recklessness for God. It's great to be young, isn't it? You feel you can take on the world. I love preaching to youth because they have so much energy and, and They've got a daring, a willingness to rise to a challenge. Let me say, that's a gift to youth. God has given that to you as a gift. And it's a gift that will disappear as you get older. <laughs> you don't know you have it until you start to lose it. That kind of energy and the time you have on your hands, you think you're busy. Wait till you get older. a willingness to rise to the challenge, whatever the challenge, challenges God sets before you. So what are you doing with your youth? You haven't got your youth forever. Are you going to sit down with Saul? Or are you going to be like Jonathan? Jonathan or, this armor bearer could have said to Jonathan, no, I'm not going that way. I'm not, no way I'm risking that. He could have even snuck over back to Saul and said, hey, do you know what your son's doing? Whew. 
But no, he wasn't sitting down with Saul in his comfortable Christianity. He was willing to step out and use his youth to glorify God. Young people of this world are infected with the disease of idleness, laziness. They'll say, this youth is a time to indulge myself. These are years that I can spend on me. I can enjoy myself. I mean, this is a responsibility-free zone, right? I'm free. I'm young. No, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. The time you have is right now. And it's time to serve God right now in your youth. Don't sit down with the world. Don't say, well, I'll serve God when I'm older. No, we must serve God today. Say, like this armor bearer did, come, let us go over to the Philistines, uh, garrison of this uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan, do all that's in thy heart. He's talking about today, right now. So give your all to Jesus. Give your reckless years to being reckless for Jesus. Let the kingdom of God shape everything in your life. From the friends you choose, to the ambitions you have, to the way you spend your Saturday nights. Use that time that God has given you. It's a gift placed in your hands by the Lord. God says, use it for me. All right, so that's the youth. How about the adult? Jonathan. Jonathan chooses to be a leader. He chooses to be the adult. To lead others. Where are the disciple makers of tomorrow? We need to step up and show them the way. Go to them and say, hey, let's do something for God. Join me and see what God will do. Come behind me and, and learn how. Men, we need to be the leaders of our families. The leaders in our homes. To say, this is the way, walk ye in it. To say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How are we doing, adult? At taking these young teenagers under our wing and showing them the path. Heading the charge, as it were, against this world. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherein ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts, the wicked. <laughs> Don't forget the helmet of salvation. Oh, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching whereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so as we yield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it may please God to take those first few blows and so magnify them that the strongholds of Satan are thrown into a panic and confusion. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Dear God, would you work in our hearts to give us that kind of faith? A faith that does not sit, that is not content just to be in the pew on Sundays. It says, God, I want to know you. And I want to live for you. And I want others to know you and see that truth of your word. Lord, would you give us a desire and a, and a cause that would venture all for you? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.